John chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 42. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning asking for you to speak, knowing that your sheep will hear your voice. Give us grace to know you, to see you, to trust you, to believe in you. I pray that you would help me, that despite my weaknesses and frailty, that I might deliver your truth with clarity and conviction and be a faithful mouthpiece. We ask all of this in the name of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we've seen throughout our study in the Gospel of John, there's been this rising tension between Jesus and the Jews, specifically the the religious leaders. And in our text this morning, tensions are high. And we see some remarkable things. We see Jesus plainly explain who he is, that he is one with the Father, that he is God. And the Jews respond by picking up rocks to throw at him, and then they try to arrest him. 
And they do this because they are not truly God's people. And then we also see the benefits for those who are God's people, who are Christ's sheep. Jesus knows them. And he gives them eternal life and promises to keep them safe forever. And so the main point this morning, what I hope you see in the text is this, is that those who hear and follow Jesus, the good shepherd, have eternal life and eternal security. Those who hear and follow Jesus, the good shepherd, have eternal life and eternal security. In verse 22, John lets us know that there's been some time that's gone by since the previous section that we looked at last week. Look at verse 22. John writes, At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. The first part of John chapter 10 happened around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, which took place in early October. Now it's a couple months later, and it's the Feast of Dedication, which took place in December. Most of us know of the Feast of Dedication. We just know it by a different name, Hanukkah. Hanukkah. That's the modern name for the Feast of Dedication. And a little history lesson, the Feast of Dedication was an eight-day feast that reminded the people of when the temple was rededicated back to the Lord by Judas Maccabeus in 165 BC. You're not going to find that in the Old Testament. It's, this, is, this happens in the intertestamental period. But basically what happened earlier in 167 BC, the Syrians came in and they attacked Jerusalem and they took over the city and they polluted the temple. They polluted the temple by offering sacrifices on the altar to a pagan god. And in response to this, the people led by Judas Maccabeus overthrew the Syrians and rededicated the temple back to God. And so in order to remember this, the Feast of Dedication was held every year at the same time. The Jews celebrated this feast as a reminder that God had delivered his people again and enabled them to offer true worship. So it's Hanukkah, and it's cold outside. John makes that note that it was winter. Some commentators think that John has a double meaning when he mentions winter here. Mark Johnston writes, it was not merely the frostiness of the season that was so striking, but increasingly the frosty reception Jesus was rece receiving from his own people. So Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's in the temple, and he's walking along Solomon's colonnade. And that's a significant note. Because as the people are celebrating, remembering God's faithfulness to them in the past, God himself is walking in the temple. And as Jesus is walking, a crowd surrounds him. And they say to him, look at verse 24, <clears throat> how long will you keep us in suspense? Or how long will you continue to frustrate us? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Tell us plainly. But we know that this question that they asked Jesus isn't just a 
clear up some doubt that they may have had. But they wanted to stir up more debate. They're not asking questions because they want to understand Jesus better. But this is a gotcha moment. They want to get him because Jesus wasn't meeting their expectations of what they thought the Messiah should be. Many of the people in Jesus' day had this expectation that when the Messiah came, he would bring about political freedom and victory. Remember back in chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with only the loaves and the fish, what, what happens? Jesus perceives that the people were going to take him by force and make him king. And so he sneaks away. The expectation was that the Messiah would come as a warrior and drive out the hated Romans. During the time of the Feast of the Dedication, they were celebrating a military victory. And so they were expecting to have another as the Messiah came. And so these Jews in this passage who longed for this type of Messiah, a Messiah who they kind of designed in their own heads, one who would overthrow the Roman government. They wanted a Messiah who would fit God's plan in with their plan. Not to be really God's servant, but their servant. Many people try to treat Jesus the same way in our day. Many people try to seek Jesus, try to make him fit into their own plans, to use him for their own ends. But Jesus had come to fulfill the will of the Father. The Jews say, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. But didn't he already tell them plainly? Yeah. That's why he responds the way that he responds. Look at verse 25. He points them back to what he has already said and what he's already done. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus says, I told you, and you did not believe. How had he told them? Well, chapter 5, he had told them that the works that he did were the works of his Father. He had said that God had entrusted to him all judgment and granted him to have life in himself. He said that he had been sent from God. He invited people to come to him, all who were thirsty, promising to give them streams of living water. He said to those who believed in him, before Abraham was born, I am. He told them he was the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, and the good shepherd. But they didn't believe. Jesus also points to his works the signs, the miracles that he did in his father's name. He says that his works bear witness about him. Well, what did he do? He turned water into wine. He cleansed the temple. He healed the ro royal official's son. He healed the paralytic at the pool. He fed the 5,000. And just recently, he healed the blind man who was born blind. These works were signs pointing to who Jesus is and what he had come to do. They pointed to the fact that he was and is the Christ. But they didn't believe. And Jesus explains why they didn't believe. 
Do you notice that? He says, it's because you are not among my sheep. Jesus is bringing up the same illustration that he used just months ago, the shepherd and the sheep. But think about it. Jesus doesn't say, you're not part of my flock because you don't believe. He says, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. That's a helpful reminder that we are not members of God's flock because we believe. We're not saved because of our faith. We do not save ourselves by believing in Jesus, but God saves us by giving us faith, the gift of faith. Remember in John's gospel, one of the themes is, is the new birth, right? Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born from above. God, through the Holy Spirit, must do a work in your heart, taking it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. The Bible teaches us that man's problem is, is that because of sin, we're spiritually dead. And beyond the point of saving ourselves, with, beyond the point of doing anything to contribute to our salvation, there's no hope for a dead man unless he's miraculously brought to life. And so apart from God's saving grace, sinful man is unable to believe. So it is only by God's sovereign grace in election that Christ's sheep believe and are saved. The Jews didn't believe because God had not chosen them. Now, don't get me wrong. This wasn't because they wanted to believe and were prevented from believing. All who believe are received by Jesus. He said this earlier in chapter six. He says, all that the father gives me or all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It wasn't like these Jews were coming to him saying, I, we believe you, Jesus. No. No one believes unless God opens their eyes to see. Charles Spurgeon once said, it's easier to train a tiger to be a vegetarian than convincing an unregenerate person to believe the gospel. God must do a work in that person's heart in order for them to believe. The main function of Jesus' miracles was to bear witness to who he is, that he was and is the Messiah. But in, case, in the case of the Jews, his miracles only hardened their hearts because of their unbelief. They didn't believe because they were not part of his flock. And then in verses 27 to 30, Jesus explains what it's like to be a part of his flock. The response of those who follow Jesus is just the opposite. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Whew. These verses should be so precious to you if you're a Christian. 
If you believe in Jesus, meaning if you recognize who he is and what he has done, if you have cast yourself upon Jesus and him alone as a lost and helpless sinner leaning on his saving power, then these truths are about you. You are a chosen child of God. You are one of Christ's sheep. Unlike the unbelieving Jews, Jesus' sheep hear his voice. They understand the things that he says about himself, and they believe because God has opened their eyes to see and their hearts to believe. And not only do they hear his voice, they respond. Jesus says that they follow him. They obey him. What are the benefits of being a sheep in Christ's flock? We looked at this last week, but Jesus knows them. There's this intimate relationship that he has with, with each and every person who believes in him. He knows about them. He knows their struggles, their pain, their joy, their sadness, their past and present and their future. Jesus knows his sheep. And then it also says that he gives them eternal life. He gives them eternal life, salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. And Jesus says that he gives his sheep eternal life. Salvation by grace is the greatest news ever because we cannot earn our salvation. No amount of good works can erase the guilt of our sins. We cannot buy our salvation. We have nothing to offer God. We don't have the right to eternal life because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we can still have eternal life by receiving it from Jesus as a free and unmerited gift. Consider the cost what it took for Jesus to give his people eternal life. Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins in order to save us and give us eternal life. He is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. So for you this morning, where's your confidence today? Where's your confidence is your hope solely in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to earn your salvation? You can't. And not only does Jesus say that he gives his sheep eternal life, but they have eternal security. Many Christians wrestle with fears that they might lose their salvation. I can't even tell you how many times I met with people over the last month Christians who struggle that they might lose their salvation. Jesus helps us answer that question. Can someone lose their salvation? What's the answer? No, never. For those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. That's a comfort. Amen? Yeah. 
Not because we have the ability to preserve our faith, but because our security is in the one who holds us. There's this great illustration that one commentator gave. He says, A strong father is walking with his three-year-old son beside a dangerous railroad track. There are two ways the father can protect the son. He can reach out his hand and say to the little boy, Now listen, son, hold tightly to my hand, because if you let go, you could fall on the tracks and be killed. Or the father can say, Son, give me your hand. And he takes the boy's hand and holds on to him. Either the father holds on to the son or the son holds on to the father. Which is the better option? We're secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because Jesus holds tightly to us. If it were left to us, we would fall away from the faith. We would perish. But Jesus promises here in his word, listen, Christian, this morning, he will keep all of his sheep secure forever. And then Jesus continues by saying, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. Not only does Jesus hold us in his hand, but also God the father. We are double secure. In fact, I'll take the illustration a little bit further and say that I know that the three persons of the Trinity work together. So you have the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit holding you eternally. Nothing can take away the salvation that is given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Because they are held by Jesus and the Father eternally secure. The doctrine that is often associated with this is called the perseverance of the saints, which teaches that once a person has truly become a follower of Jesus Christ, they will never lose their salvation. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. But you may be asking, well, what about those who end up denying the faith? Walking away, it just means that they were never saved in the first place. Because Jesus says, Jesus promises here in his word that those who are truly his, no one can snatch them from his hand. That's an awesome comfort. Christian, you don't have to doubt If you believe in Jesus, you don't have to doubt. Jesus will keep you. If you've come this morning with doubt or hardships, or maybe you're struggling spiritually as one of Christ's sheep, listen to his voice this morning. You cannot lose your salvation. No one can snatch you from his hand. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, 
nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have eternal life. You'll never perish because you are safe in Christ. He will hold you fast. What greater, incent- Sorry, what greater incentive do you have this morning to live for his glory, to follow him and serve him wholeheartedly? And Jesus ends his response by saying, I and the Father are one. The Jews wanted Jesus to speak plainly, and he does. Leon Morris writes, They asked Jesus for a plain statement of his messiahship, and they got more than they had bargained for. There's no confusion as to what Jesus means here. In this statement, Jesus claims a unity of will between himself and the Father. He had just said, I I give them eternal life. Only God is able to give eternal life. Jesus is claiming to be God. And then he said, no one can snatch them out of my hand or the Father's hand. Jesus' will is united with the will of the Father to save and to secure his sheep. So they're united in will, but they're also united in their works. Jesus says in verse 38 that he does the works of the Father. God the Father consecrated and sent Jesus into the world so that Jesus would do the works of the Father. Then also in verse 38, Jesus says, The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Jesus means that he and the Father are one divine being. We see the mystery of the doctrine of the Trinity revealed partly here. That there is one God and three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by one God, we mean that there aren't three different gods. There's one God. Yet there are three distinct persons who are divine and yet a part of one divine nature, the mystery of the Trinity. And it's very clear that the Jews understand what Jesus is saying here. Because in verse 31, we see them pick up stones again. Right? John makes that note again. This isn't the first time that the Jews wanted to pick up stones and kill him. But as they have these stones in their hand, Jesus Jesus doesn't run away. He responds to them. He says, for what work have I done that you're going to stone me? And the answer, Jesus, it's not because you healed the guy on the Sabbath anymore. It's not because you violate our traditions and our rules. It's because you being a man make yourself God. Those who say Jesus never claimed to be God need to read John chapter 10. It was because Jesus claimed to be God that the Jews gathered up stones to kill him. You make yourself God. There's so much irony all throughout the gospel of John. What an ironic statement right here. Jesus didn't make himself God. The opposite happened. Remember what John wrote in chapter 1 in the very first verse. John tells us that Jesus, the Word, was with God and was God. And a couple verses later, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
R.C. Sproul said, the eternal second person of the Trinity, who from all eternity was very God of very God, became man. He took upon himself a human nature. God made himself man. But the Jewish authorities accused Jesus of being a man who made himself God. They got it completely backwards. Jesus didn't make himself God. God the Son made himself man in order to redeem his people. Jesus responds, and his reply is a little difficult to understand. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? What Jesus is doing here is he's he's just quoting the scriptures back to them, but he points them to a very obscure passage in the Psalms. He goes to Psalm 82, verse 6, which is a psalm of rebuke to the unjust judges of Israel. And in this psalm, these judges were called lowercase g gods because they were fulfilling a task on God's behalf. Right? So in the scripture, These judges were called lowercase g gods, but they were just men. And so Jesus' argument here is that if sinful judges in the past could, could be called by the scriptures lowercase g gods, how could it be inappropriate for Jesus, the one whom the Father had consecrated and sent into the world to call himself the Son of God? In the Old Testament, some human beings were called gods, and nobody picked up stones to throw at them and kill them for blasphemy. Jesus says in verse 35 also, the scripture cannot be broken. He tells us that he believes scripture to be totally true, to be trustworthy, to be reliable, unbreakable. And so, Those of us who are his sheep, his followers, must think the same way that Jesus thinks of the Bible. He's talking to these Jews, and he's so merciful. Remember, these people have have rocks in their hand. (laughs) Think about it. They have rocks in their hand to throw at him, and Jesus makes one final plea with them. One final invitation for them to believe. Look at verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He says, if you don't believe my words, then look at my works and believe that I am God. He has healed the sick. He has cured lepers. He has fed the hungry. He's given sight to the blind. What Jesus has done was simply beyond the power of men and definitely pointed to the fact that he was the Christ, the Messiah. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, consider this. Who else can turn water into wine? Who can heal the sick and the lame with just a word? 
Who can feed thousands and thousands of people with just a few fish and loaves and give sight to a man born blind? May the works of Jesus cause you to believe and consider Jesus' greatest work. His greatest work was performed on the cross where he died to pay the penalty for all the sins of those who believe in him. Consider his works. May the works of Jesus cause you to believe. Jesus invited the Jews to consider his works and believe, but unfortunately, they didn't believe. They sought to arrest him. Instead of stoning him, they resorted to trying to arrest him, but Jesus escapes somehow, and he crosses the Jordan River where he began his ministry. So there's kind of a bookend right here. And many came to him and believed. Today's what? Palm Sunday, right? It's not a Palm Sunday message. But I was like, how am I going to fit that in? Well, the next time we see Jesus in Jerusalem is when he comes in riding on a donkey, Palm Sunday, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But Jesus goes to where he began his ministry. Many come to him and believe in him. And so my, the question for you this morning is this. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do his works lead you to conclude that he's blaspheming when he identifies himself with God? Or do they lead you to the opposite conclusion? That the one who performed these works must be from God and actually must be God himself. Jesus is God. Come to him this morning. Believe in his great work on the cross. Believe in him. Jesus is God. And if you're one of his sheep, Jesus says that no one will be able to snatch you out of his hand. You will never be able to lose your salvation. Not because of your own strength, but because of the strength of the one who holds you. Jesus and the Father are one, and you are held in their hands. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is God. God is our shepherd. We are safe. Those who hear and follow Jesus, the good shepherd, have eternal life and eternal security. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh, to dwell among us, to die for our sins, to be raised again, who gives us eternal life and promises eternal security. We pray for those this morning who do not know you, that you would open their eyes to see Jesus and believe in him. We pray that you would encourage your sheep today as we reflect on how you know us and that we are safe 
in your hands. May we listen to the voice of our good shepherd and follow him faithfully, knowing that he is the God who saves and keeps us. In his name we pray. Amen.